Amen. So good to be in O'Fallon, Missouri today, Lighthouse Church. Amen. We don't feel like uh, like guests today because uh, this church we planted in Independence, Missouri about 15 years ago is named Lighthouse Church. So I feel right at home. Amen. So good to be here with uh, friends, some faces that are familiar, many faces that are not familiar, and uh, just thankful today to be here. Good to have my wife and two of our kids with us. They're downstairs right now. My wife hasn't heard me preach in three years. <laughs> we, uh, we have two adult children that are grown and married and in ministry, and then we adopted two uh, Navajo children here back in January, and uh, they were exposed to drugs uh, prior to being born. So they're fighting a few challenges, but God is blessing and and healing, and, and uh, we're thankful for that. We're so honored that you're here today, amen, and I'm just so excited for what God is going to do. Why don't you go ahead and be seated? I want to talk to you for just a moment about multicultural ministries. Pastor's already set it up really well. That's kind of how I view it, and I'm going to talk more about that tonight. If, if you uh, have the opportunity to be here tonight, love to have you back to hear more about what we're doing, but multicultural ministries the United Pentecostal Church is simply a ministry to uh, reach into every cultural group that God is bringing to North America. Acts chapter 17, verse number 26 says, God determines the boundaries of our habitation. So what that means is God decides where you live, right? That's the plain English version. <laughs> and so he determines who moves here, when they come, how they get here. doesn't matter what your political uh, opinion is. It doesn't matter uh, what our uh, personal feelings are or our discomforts and our, our uh, you know, there's not a lot of prejudice in the church, but there's just a lot of unknown factor. So people get uncomfortable. Uh, there is prejudice in the world, but hopefully when you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that goes away, right? Because we're all one church. Really, the church is one culture. And so we're not promoting multiculturalism. Multiculturalism is a word that the government and the media specifically has uh, captured and utilized in a negative connotation, somewhat akin to globalism, and uh, that's not what we're promoting. What we're saying is people are coming to North America, so we have a mandate to reach everybody. And so we want to make it available to everyone in their culture, in their language, and, uh, and that's what our efforts are for. Our goal is to have training material and resources available that if you have a pocket of any people group in your community, maybe you've got 2,000 Chinese that live in your community, we want to give you the tools necessary to reach into that community. And so that's our goal, but my purpose is to promote this because very few people in local churches know exactly what we're doing, uh, what our ministry's all about. So come back tonight. There are some things I'm going to share with you. I'll share one this morning just in case you can't be here tonight. Uh, we have a website called globaltracks.com. You may have heard of it, but if you haven't, at globaltracks.com there are Bible studies and uh, tracks in 63 different languages. This is free of charge to utilize. You can go and download a track, download a Bible study, share it with someone, and they can read about the salvation plan in their own uh, native language. Uh, I can tell you from personal experience, 15 years ago, I was uh, reaching into the Vietnamese community in Kansas City, and it was my desire to, uh, to see many people from that community saved. There's about 8,000 Vietnamese in Kansas City, and I felt like if we have enough Vietnamese to have two Buddhist temples, 
then we should at least have one apostolic church that's trying to reach into that group, people group. And so I, uh, I, I was praying, God, help me reach the Vietnamese. And the Lord, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. Now, this is really profound, so I'm glad you're sitting down. Uh, I felt like the Lord said, if you want to reach Vietnamese people, you got to be around Vietnamese people. I told you that was profound. And so I decided I'm going to go to this restaurant. I'm going to be strategic. I'm very analytical. I'm kind of OCD. So I decided every Thursday I'm going to eat lunch at the same place. Every Thursday. And I'm going to gain uh, some friendship with the, with the staff and the owner and all of that. So I did that for about three months. Turns out I love their food. You know, I love multicultural ministries because I love everybody's food. I haven't found any that I don't like, so if somebody wants to try to surprise me, I'm up, I'm open, you know. But anyway, I, I started going there for about three months, made a connection with the owner. He spoke very little English. However, I'll give him credit, his English was better than my Vietnamese because I can't even pronounce the names of the food right, you know. And so anyway, I prayed about it. I went home. I printed off a Bible study in English, the same study in Vietnamese, went back the next Thursday. After the lunch rush, we sat down together. We went paragraph by paragraph. I had a copy in English so I would understand what he was reading. And when we got to the end of the Bible study, he was weeping under the power of God. Amen. I could have never done that. On my own. That's what the Word of God can do. So that's a great resource. Use it. Uh, it's a large part of what we do. And tonight I'll tell you more about it. Thank you, Pastor and Sister Buford, for allowing us to be here this weekend. And uh, I'll talk more about our kids maybe this, uh, this morning or maybe tonight. But we're so honored to be here and just excited for what God is doing in O'Fallon. Amen. In the St. Louis metro area. There are multiple ethnic groups all around this area. You know there's 90,000 Bosnians in St. Louis? That's quite a few, right? They came here in the 90s because of the war and all that and uh, escaping genocide, and uh, the majority of them are Muslim, and I have no issue with that because Muslims believe in one God, so we got something in common. And if I've got common ground with somebody, I can begin to talk to them about the Lord. Amen. There's opportunities all around. So we're excited for what God is doing. If you want to turn with me this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 2. While you're turning there, uh, as Pastor has said, we, we were the last five years in Arizona, pastoring a church in northern Arizona. That's the pretty part of the state. We were in Flagstaff. Uh, you think you got a lot of rain this spring? We had 73 inches of snow just in the month of February. In one month. And I know that sounds like a lot. If, that, if you had 73 inches of snow in, in St. Louis, it'd be on the ground all summer. But in Flagstaff, it was gone in about a week and a half because it's so dry and we're so close to the sun. We're 7,000 feet elevation. It just melts. And that's my kind of snow. Pretty and gone. Amen. But we're, we're honored to be here in Flagstaff. We pastored a church. 65% of our local congregation was Native American from nine different tribes. We were uh, in a unique situation because we were in a university city, and they come to the university, and we, we win them out of the university. And people say, oh, there's no way you have Navajo and Apache in the same church. They, they're, they're mortal enemies. And I said, well, come for a visit and check it out. We had Navajo, Apache, Mojave, Hopi. We had five others. I'm not going to try to remember them all. But God was doing a great work there. We had preaching points on three reservations. If you want to go on a missions trip and don't feel like renewing your passport, come to northern Arizona. 
Amen. I can take you to places where you can preach with no running water, no electricity. Right here in the United States, some of the poorest areas that you'll ever be in, but some of the most powerful moves of God you'll ever experience. God is moving everywhere. Amen. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2. This is the Apostle Paul, and he is preaching and quoting, really, uh, out of the book of Isaiah. And this is one verse. Basically, he says, I have heard thee in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Amen. The Lord said, I have secured thee. Another word for secured is I have helped thee. Amen. Aren't you glad that the Lord helps us in our time of trouble? Amen. I'm glad that I have the help of the Lord. David said, my help comes from the Lord. Amen. And I feel that help here today. If I had a police megaphone, I would use it in announcing my title because the title is Step Away from Your Past and Come Out with Your Hands Up. Amen. And if I had a megaphone, that would have made a lot more of an impact. But anyway, step away from your past, whatever that is, and come out with your hands up. I don't know about you, but there are things that I'm so thankful for that God has delivered me from in my past. Amen. Whether you've been living for God for three or four weeks or whether you've been living for God for 30 or 40 years, amen, you can remember where you were when God pulled you out of the miry clay. For me, it was uh, 1988. That was 31 years ago. I'm going to go ahead and let you know how old I am. I was 20 years old at the time, so that makes me 51. And uh, I'm raising my own grandkids, so that's funny. You can laugh. (laughs) Actually, I have grandchildren the same age as my two adopted children, so they're going to grow up together and be confused about who's who. (laughs) Amen. But in 1988, I had a $500 a day cocaine addiction and all the other junk that comes along with being a junkie. I wasn't raised in the church. My dad uh, is not a pastor. Uh, My dad doesn't work at headquarters. And so sometimes I look around and I think, you know, I've got a job where I'm out promoting one of our ministries and how did I end up here? You know, Lord, how did I ever deserve this opportunity? But really, when you think about it, none of us deserve the opportunities that we have in God. But we are thankful for salvation. Amen. But in the world in which we live today, things seem to be a little different. There doesn't always seem to be that urgency of salvation. It's so uh, good to hear that 30 out of 40 kids who wanted the Holy Ghost received it this week at camp. That's what it should be every camp, every year, every district. Amen. Because that's what this is all about. For me, 30 plus years ago, uh, the, the message every night was, you must be born again. Amen. We were in revival in the church in Columbia, Mississippi, where I first received the Holy Ghost, and and Pastor James Carney was there, and and we had an evangelist by the name of Jerome Bourne, and he was preaching, and pretty much every night, no matter what the message, he would give an appeal for someone to be saved. I'm so thankful that the one night that I was there uh, in the right frame of mind to understand, he was preaching for my soul. Amen. He didn't take a night off. He didn't say, well, you know, we probably won't have any guests here today, so we're just going to we're gonna teach, uh, you know, the church needs a real analytical and, and uh, you know, well-spoken message and, you know, all these four- and five-syllable words. And, and I can say a few 
four-syllable words, not very many, because I'm from Mississippi, but anyway, that, that's four syllables right there. But you know what? The Sermon on the Mount, three out of four words were one syllable. Jesus doesn't make this stuff hard. Sometimes we complicate things. Sometimes we complicate the, the message, but there is an urgency for salvation in our world. Amen. That's what the church was born on, and that's what the church will survive on, is the urgency of salvation. We live in a troubled world. There's trouble all around us. Just this week in California, there was a 6.4 earthquake and followed up two days later by a 7.1. If that 7.1 would have been about 200 miles further west, multiple lives would have been lost. Amen. To put that in perspective, the the earthquake in 1989 in uh, San Francisco, I believe, was a a 6.9. It brought down overpasses and bridges. Many lives were lost. So that's the type of earthquakes they're having. There's uh, flooding. It seems like every second or third year we have a 500-year flood. They're going to have to rename that thing eventually. Have you ever wondered? You live close to the Mississippi River. You understand. How can you have a 500-year flood three or four times a decade? The things are changing is what I'm saying. It might have been a 500-year flood 500 years ago, but now it's about every other year. Amen. The election is coming up. I don't even have to start on that. People are in chaos, turmoil. The Middle East has always been in in, in a turmoil. And all of that being said, there's trouble all over the world. And Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 25, when he's talking about the coming of the Lord, he said that that nation will rise against nation. There'll be pestilence, famine, uh, earthquakes in diverse places. You know the the scripture. And and, and all of these things are going to be happening when Jesus returns to this earth. Amen. It'll be in a continuous uproar. If I could put one word on it today, it's chaos. And really, that's the world that we live in. You can turn on your your phone or your computer or get a newspaper or magazine, however you get your news, and there's just one headline after the next, chaos, school shootings, uh, you know, bombings in the Middle East and all of these things. And in that type of scenario, amen, we are going to experience the coming of the Lord. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 3 gives us some good news. Now, we just read in 2 Corinthians that today is the day of salvation. But 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering? Amen. Now, for all the perfect people in the world, this is not a big deal. But this is pretty important for the rest of us. Amen. He is long-suffering. He said, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. I stand on the word of God today and say that God is not going to send anybody to hell. Amen. God is not going to condemn anybody's soul to hell. If anybody dies lost, it's because they made up their mind that they're not going to obey the gospel. Amen. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Somebody said, well, how do I come to God? It's very simple. Jesus said, no man come to me except the Father 
No man come to the Father, but the Spirit draw him. Basically what God is saying, uh, you make your move and I'll make my move. The Bible says, draw nigh to me and I will draw near to you. I'm preaching today to somebody that feels like maybe you're a million miles away from God. But I'm here to tell you, all you have to do is start moving toward God and God will start moving toward you. Amen. Step away from your past. Come out with your hands up. It doesn't take a whole lot. In fact, the Lord said he'll help you even more than that. The Bible says that the spirit and the bride say come. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to me. He was talking about his lifting up upon the cross that we just sang about here today. You see, the devil should have never allowed him to be hung on Calvary. Really, that's the dumbest thing the devil ever did. He should have known his Bible a little bit better than that. Because as those soldiers were lifting him up on the cross above the earth and he was suspended between heaven and earth, there was a great shaking going on in the pits of hell. Chains were falling off. Addictions were being defeated. Sin was being wiped out. When Jesus was lifted up because he said, my spirit is now going to be irresistible. Now I'm going to be able to draw all men, he said, from every nation, from every generation, on every continent, every, uh, uh, every ethnic group, every kindred. Amen. But our part in that is don't resist the drawing of God. The Spirit of God is drawing here today. Amen. Because the Word of God is, is real. In fact, God is constantly pursuing us. Revelation 3 and 20 says, I stand at the door and knock. The verb for knock there, uh, it means continual knocking. It's not just a one time and then gone, you know. That's what FedEx does anymore. They're just like, and they're out. And before you can even get to the door, some neighborhood kids scampered by and taking your package. At least that's what happens in Flagstaff. But he says, I'm knocking, continually knocking. Who's going to get up and open the door? Who's going to get out of their complacency? Who's going to get out of their religious tradition? I, I get so weary at times when I'm talking to people about God and they say, well, we believe this. And, and you, you don't want to be rude, but eventually I want to say, I don't care what you believe. And to be honest, you shouldn't care what I believe. What does the Bible say? Because that's the only thing that's going to matter. Amen. Somebody has to get up. Jesus said, I'm standing and I'm knocking and I'm waiting. He said, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Amen. Somebody has to get up and say, today is the day for me to be saved. Amen. Today is the day of salvation. Praise God. Salvation ought to be the number one agenda item for everybody on the earth. If you have a bucket list, that's something that became popular about 15 or 20 years ago. You know, a bucket list, that means all the things you want to do and accomplish before you die. The number one thing on your bucket list should be get saved. If you have things like... Uh, Jump out of an airplane with a parachute on your bucket list. Please don't do that before you get saved. <laughs> I was preaching in Cody, Wyoming last Sunday, and, and they said, you know, we, we got to take you to the, the rodeo. And I'm like, well, 
I know I got boots on today, but you know, rodeo is not my number one thing, but I could go. They said, no, but and Cody, that's what you do. It's like the the first rodeo and all that. So we go, and I'm watching those guys ride a bull, and all I could think of was, man, I hope their life insurance is paid up. And then I started wondering, can they even get life insurance if that's their occupation? I hope they're saved because they're about to die. Not the one riding it so much, but the, the clown. And, he, you know, he is a clown to take that job. So, I don't know what they pay, but it isn't enough. Amen. The number one agenda item. Don't put everything else ahead of the priority of being saved. What we need most in our life is, is salvation. Let me tell you a real quick story that happened to us in Arizona. We, we uh, taught a Bible study to a young couple. They lived three hours away from us on the Apache Reservation. And we were out there doing uh, some ministry because of another family. And, and we, we began to talk to them about Bible study. Eventually they would meet us halfway in a town called Holbrook. I'd work all week long. I, I managed a collision center at a car dealership and I'd get off work at Friday and drive an hour and a half to teach a Bible study and, and they would drive an hour and a half to meet us and we would have fellowship and Bible study every Friday night for three or four months and then they began to drive the whole three hours to come to church on Sunday. We baptized Ramsey and Teresa and they both received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and were living for God and, and then he got a job. Isn't that amazing? Right? You start living for God, he starts taking care of you. But his job was with the National Park Service. He, he's a full-blooded Apache, and, and he got a job with the National Park Service. And they said, we want you working at the north rim of the Grand Canyon. So from Flagstaff, it's like just right over there. But it's a four-hour drive because <laughs> you got to go around this big hole in the ground. And, you know, every Sunday they would drive four hours one way to church. Most Sundays I would slip Ramsey a 20 so he'd have gas money to get home. But because they were making an effort that nobody else was making. We were the closest Pentecostal church to where that boy lived four hours away. And that's the stuff that keeps me up at night. Now, there's not a lot of towns out there, but there are some that we could have churches in those places. And I believe God's going to raise up people like Ramsey and Teresa, and they're going to plant churches in those places. But in the meantime, they were coming to our church, and one day Teresa said, uh, you know, when I first got to, to Arizona, uh, I, I began to say, God, how am I going to reach Native Americans? I don't understand their culture. Uh, I don't understand anything about it. I know what they taught us in school, but I'm fastly figuring out that that wasn't true. Whatever you learn in American history, see me after church, and I'll tell you what the real truth of the matter is. It's way worse than what they taught us. That's not our fault that that's the way it is, right? We, we can only be responsible for what we have been told, right, unless we take the time to sit down and communicate, right, with somebody else and find out what the truth is. So I began to learn about it. I said, God, I know the biggest issue is trust. And they, they don't trust Caucasians, and rightfully so. I understand why they don't. So I said, God, if, if somebody asks me to do something and I say I will, I'm going to do it no matter what because I don't want to lose their trust. So the first thing that happened, a guy says, can you pray for my grandmother? I said, absolutely. Is she in the hospital? No, she's two and a half hours away on the reservation. So I drive all the way out there, an hour on a paved road, an hour on an unpaved road, a half hour on a really unpaved road. And I get there, and a guy comes to the door, 
And he, he comes up to the car, cousin of the man in my church. He said, are you here to pray for my grandmother? I said, yes. He says, well, come on in. And I, I went in. There's 24 people there with notebooks, Bibles, and pens wanting a Bible study. So I asked the young man who brought me in the house. I said, hey, what? I, I get it. It's Bible study. I'm all for it. But how did this happen? I was planning on praying for Grandma. And there's a word, Bilagana, in Navajo. It's derogatory meaning white boy. So that's what it is, right? I don't get offended. It's the word he knows. It's the word he used. So he said, well, we just decided if a Bilagana is going to come and pray for my grandmother, we ought to at least have time to listen to what he has to say. So we had a Bible study. It went and turned into a preaching point. This happened two or three times on different areas on the reservation. And I, I'm a slow learner. I finally said, God, I think I figured out what you're doing here. You know, you're opening doors. You're giving me opportunity. So uh, Ramsey and Teresa, back to them, they, they, they were the third or fourth time that something like this happened. She said, my uncle is in the hospital. He, he's not doing well. He wants to be baptized. And, you know, for three or four times I would say, absolutely, let's do it. Where is he? Well, this time I said, where is he? Before I agreed to it, right? <laughs> I was starting to catch on. She said, he's in Tucson. Well, that's about four hours and 20 minutes from Flagstaff. And I said, you know, Pastor Connor's in Tucson. He's probably got 10 preachers on staff, uh, or at least in his church. Jeremiah Lopez, all these guys. Somebody could go over there and baptize him right now. Yeah, but you're our pastor. We want you to do it. I said, okay, well, I'm working all week, so we'll go Saturday. They said, perfect. Thursday night they called, said he's doing a little better, thinks they might move him to the hospital near the reservation. His whole family can come to the baptism. I said, okay, but tell him don't wait too long because it's important. There's an urgency of salvation. They said, okay, we'll do it when he gets moved to the to the res, the reservation. We call it the res. And uh, next week comes. He's not doing better. They're not going to let him out. Let's go to Tucson. I said, all right, when do you want to do it? This Saturday. So we're a week behind now. We're going to go Saturday. So Friday rolls around. I work all day. I get home. I study for church for Sunday because Saturday's going to be a full day. And, and so I'm, I'm studying about 11 o'clock Friday night. I get a phone call, and he's taking a turn for the worse, and he's not going to make it through the night. Can you come right now? And I said yes because I had already committed to it. It's just what you do. This is not about me. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just telling you what happened. So I get in the car. I don't recommend it, by the way. I get in the car at 10 minutes till midnight, drive four and a half hours on a fairly dangerous highway because it's basically all downhill. We're at 7,000 feet elevation, and we're going into the valley, they call it. And, you know, I'm driving, I'm trying to stay awake. I stop in South Phoenix to get some gas and some coffee and they call back at 2.30 and said he just passed away. And I, I, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I was mad at them for talking me into waiting. I was mad at me for waiting. Can I say this without being in trouble today? I was, might have been mad at God for a minute. I was like, God, I'm doing everything I can for these people. I just need a little bit of help, right? But guess what God was doing? He was already working. The Bible, we just read it. My help comes from the Lord. But there's such an urgency for salvation. I was, I was deflated. I was defeated. I was exhausted. And I said, well, I'm just going to go ahead and go on in, 
and be there for my for my people. And I went, and the, the end of that story, I'm just going to give you the, the wrap-up because I'm, I'm wasting too much time here on this, but what ended up happening, they, the aunt called and said, I want that preacher to come and speak at the funeral planning because the man's own pastor from a different denomination, from his reservation, half as close to, to Tucson as I was, wouldn't go down and see him in the hospital. But I drove four and a half hours in the middle of the night, had never met him before, and they were, they were impressed. And I just did it because uh, Teresa asked me to. That's the only reason. So they said, come to the funeral planning. I didn't know what that meant. You know, every culture does funerals different. If you didn't know that, go to somebody else's funeral sometime. <laughs> so I get there, and they're all out in this yard, you know. I call it a yard. It was just it was dirt. There's no grass in Arizona. And uh, they're all outside, and it's about 10 minutes till 7, and people are just coming from everywhere, family and extended family and Co-workers and friends are all invited to the funeral planning, I found out. I thought funeral planning was like three or four closest relatives at the funeral home. You know, that's the way my culture does it. Doesn't make it wrong, it's just different. So I get there, turns out there's 70 people. And it finally dawned on me. I told you earlier I'm slow. (laughs) It finally dawned on me, I don't have 70 people on a Wednesday night at my church. And here I am at a, at a funeral planning. There's 70 people, and, and every one of them needs Jesus. Besides Ramsey, Teresa, and myself, nobody there had been baptized in Jesus' name. Nobody there that I know of had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, right? And so God opened a door, and, and then I start looking around, and everybody there besides me was Apache. They had invited me into their family. Amen. That's how you win people to God. You get invited in. I'm not just a door-to-door salesman. I'm trying to make friends and make acquaintances and be invited into family. I've been invited to family reunions in places that uh, 10 years ago I wouldn't even think of going. Amen. But there's such an urgency. At the end of that story, uh, I told them that, you know, if your uncle was here today, he would say, get baptized in Jesus' name and don't wait. He waited about two and a half hours too long. And so nine or ten people after some words came up, tell me more about baptism in Jesus' name. I've never heard of it before. This is what we were taught uh, here on the reservation. We don't, we don't know what that means. So I found out there's a little church there that's, uh, that's Pentecostal and, and uh, it's not part of our organization, but they believe the same thing we do. And we connected them to some of these people. And uh, then one of our... Uh, Multicultural ministry missionaries went there for a while. Brother Stanley Wilt, missionary to the Native Americans, and he was in that community. He baptized seven or eight of those people in Jesus' name. Amen. And God was doing a work, but there's an urgency. Think about how Teresa felt when her uncle died two hours before I could get there. Amen. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. says a certain, or again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Amen. Aren't you glad Jesus is in the house today? I know it's kind of quiet, and I slowed it down a little bit, but I'm not nervous. Amen. I think God's doing something here today. And I think he wants to speak to somebody here in this service today about your situation. 
says Jesus was in the house and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Amen. There were so many people that every seat was filled and they were standing around outside the door to hear what Jesus had to say. Verse 3, they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four. You know the story how four guys carried the one lame guy on a, on a, a, a tarp or some kind of a stretcher and they couldn't get inside the house where Jesus was. They had the faith to believe that he could be healed, but they couldn't get to Jesus. So they went up on the top of the house, they tore off the roof, and they let him down in amongst the crowd. The reason they couldn't get to Jesus was because so many people were there. Amen. The house was full. I preached another message years ago, and I titled it, Four of a Kind Beats a Full House. Amen. Four people with a like mind to see something from God is more powerful than a house full of spectators. Right? Amen. So it depends on who we are today as to what we're going to receive from God. Am I like the four that said God's going to do something powerful if I can just get my friend to Jesus? Or am I like the others that are saying, hey, I heard about this, Jesus. Let's go see the show. Amen. Four of a kind beats a full house. You could preach that sometime. It's... It's great. The title's better than the message. <laughs> but at least you catch them on the front end, right? And you get their attention. So Jesus is there. And verse number 5 says, When he saw their faith, he said unto the one that was sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And I'm like, stop right there. That, has, that makes no sense to me. Here is a man that can't walk. Here's a man that, that, that can't keep a good job. Here's a man that is a ward of the state. He can't pay taxes. He can't tie his own shoes. In fact, he doesn't even need shoes because he can't walk. Right? And, and, and so he's in a pitiful situation, and Jesus has the power to heal, but the first thing Jesus said was, Your sins be forgiven thee. So what was Jesus doing? I believe he was exercising protocol. He was, he was exercising uh, priority. Jesus could have said first, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And everybody would have been uh, amazed and everybody would have been wowed. But, but he said something that confused the brain trust of the Jews. You see, Jesus didn't care what their theology was. He didn't care what their priorities were. He was going to address the number one problem in that man's life. His number one problem wasn't that he couldn't run a marathon or that he couldn't ride a bike. His number one problem was his sin problem. He needed to have his sin dealt with. Jesus said, just so you know, I've got power to forgive sin. Would it be easier for me to say, your sins be forgiven thee, or rise up, take up your bed, and walk? Which is easier? It's, it's real easy to say your sins are forgiven. Nobody can see that happening. So Jesus said, okay, let me, let me just show you. Since you, don't, you aren't sure if I have the power to forgive sin, let me show you this. Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And he heals the guy. I believe that those same four men could have carried that man right back out through the same hole in the roof, right back to his house, all the way rejoicing if his sins had been forgiven. 
Let me tell you today, the number one imperative in your life is not to, to earn a million dollars. It's not for you to have perfect 100% health. But life's greatest imperative is that you be saved. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Because you can not go to heaven with sin, but you can go to hell a complete person. Amen. Remember the time Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria? John chapter 4. Probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Why did he want to go through Samaria? The Samaritans didn't even like the Jews. In fact, in those days, if the Jews were going to Judea, they would go outside of their way to go around Samaria. They didn't like them. Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria because there's a woman there that's looked down upon by her community. And she's living in sin even now. But I've heard her plea and I've heard her prayer. All she was doing was medicating her pain. Living in sin but wanted to deal with it. So it was the will of God for him to show up there at noon. Nobody draws water at noon. Hottest part of the day. But she was there by herself. Jesus showed up and there was an urgency there for salvation. A divine appointment. Amen. Can I tell you today, somebody has a divine appointment with God today. Amen. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's someone sitting near you. But God will stop at nothing. God is not intimidated by our situation. When I walked into an apostolic church uh, in 1988 with, uh, with a lot of problems, a lot of addictions, a lot of uh, habits, a lot of issues, hair down my back. I know you don't see it right now, but there might be one picture left. It's probably a Polaroid, so it's not any good anymore. <laughs> Amen. I had all kinds of problems, but I had only one that was a pressing issue, and that was salvation. We can't shock him. We can't surprise him. We're like, well, God, you don't, I appreciate the offer, but you don't know what I did. He does. He's been knocking the whole time. So the lady ran to town and said, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Isn't that amazing? She Two verses ago, she was embarrassed about her situation. She tried to lie about it or at least you know, get around it. Jesus said, uh, go call your husband. She thought, well, I'll, I'll get out of this. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you have said correctly. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Put it right back in her lap. She was embarrassed about that. That's why she was there at noon to draw water. But a few verses later, she said, hey, come and see a man that's already told me everything I've ever done. Her embarrassment, her shame became her testimony. Amen. And she began to plead for people to come out and to see. Amen. Repentance is vital. Repentance is necessary. The nation of Israel went 400 years without hearing from God, from the Old Testament prophets, and then all of a sudden John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he's preaching a message they had never heard, and his message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. For 40 days he preached the same message. I often wonder 
in our society, how long we would put up with that. Come to church next Sunday, pastor preaches a message. Sunday night, same message. The following Wednesday night, same message. 40 times in a row. They asked John, how long are you going to preach that message? And John said, until you start doing it. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't try that pastoring, but maybe I should have. That was the only message that they would hear in this time was a message of repentance. John was not in anybody's back pocket. He didn't owe anybody anything. He didn't come preaching miracles and signs and wonders. He didn't come preaching, uh, give me $1,000 and you'll be blessed. He didn't come preaching, put your hand on the screen and you'll be healed. He didn't preach any of that stuff. He simply just preached a message of repentance. Amen. And guess what? He was preaching to religious people. Sometimes we miss out what God has for us because we think it's for somebody else. I used to call it the the shovel mentality. Pastor says something and it lands right at your feet and you're like, oh man, sister so-and-so needs some of that. And you shovel it right on back to her. And he hits you right in the, right in the gut with the next one. And Brother so-and-so really could use that. And you flip that over this way. To where he's sitting. <laughs> and God is dropping it right where it belongs. See, we got to get real with God. We got to quit being professional. Amen. This service is a failure if we can't come clean and get real with God. The, the, the David said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And if I have sin in my life, or if you have sin in your life, the the only message for us is a message of repent. Amen. If we take the first step toward our soul being saved, God will meet us there. Amen. In closing, musicians can come to the platform. Remember the story about Philip in Samaria? interesting how Jesus went to Samaria and, and, and he, he said I need to go there Why was, what was the need for him to be there was it for the one woman possibly but if you remember the rest of the story she went off into town to tell everybody come see this man at the same time the disciples were on their way back from town they had bought some food and they, they kind of looking and who is that Jesus is talking to that can't be that one woman that we heard about I'm sure Peter was like, that is her. And John was like, Peter, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Remember what happened the last time? Because he was always the one running off at the mouth, getting in trouble. Just don't say nothing. And they get back and said, bad as he wanted to say, what were you doing talking to her? They said, we got some food. Jesus said, I've got food that you don't know anything about. So he's talking to them about the harvest, right? Talking to them about what's going on. And the woman's in town saying, come on out and see a man that, that told me everything that had ever happened. And, and the Bible says the whole town came to see Jesus. They began to make their way to where Jesus was on this side. They're coming from the town. And over here at the well, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, don't say that there's four months until the harvest. But look up, for the harvest is ready. And when they look up, what do they see? The whole city of Samaria. 
And I can just imagine Peter and the disciples saying, what? That can't be the harvest. That's the Samaritans. Right? That's the other people. <laughs> they were mixed breed, if I could say it that way without being offensive. They were part Jew and part Gentile. Nobody accepted them. Jesus said, look on the harvest because it's ready for harvest. So many years later, revival's going on in Samaria, same place. Philip is there preaching. He wasn't an apostle, but he was under apostolic authority. And he sent, uh, the apostles sent him to Samaria. The Bible said he did many signs, wonders, and miracles. He preached Christ. And the whole city was filled with joy. Greatest evangelist that ever lived. I've never preached in a city where the whole city was filled with joy. There were some that were happy when I left. The whole city filled with joy, but the Holy Ghost hadn't come yet. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Can I tell you today, you got to get baptized, but that does not mean you automatically receive the Spirit. Right? It's a separate birth, water and Spirit. So here Philip is, red hot revival, miracles, baptisms, everybody's filled with joy. The apostles are coming to pray. I mean, it's happening. It's like preaching uh, NAYC or, or general conference or something. He's just got it going on. And the Holy Ghost comes along and says, Philip, I've got to send you to the next revival. He probably thought, man, what's better than this? I must be preaching because of the times next or something, you know. And the Holy Spirit said, no. You need to go into the desert because there's one man that I want to reach. Amen. He's over the, the house of Queen Candace of Ethiopia. He's a man of influence. Philip didn't say, well, wait a minute. I'm preaching a great revival and the whole city is here. Why are you taking me to preach to just one man? That's how important salvation is today. I can stand here and preach before this congregation, but if this afternoon God gave me an opportunity to sit down one-on-one -on -one with somebody and teach them a Bible study, that's just as important. Maybe more. Amen. The Ethiopian says, here's water. What does hinder me from being baptized? Philip says, well, next time you're back in Jerusalem. No, that's not what he said. We got cleaner water in Jerusalem. We'll just wait and do it there. I, I found out not too long ago there's churches that only baptize once a year. You know why? Because it's not urgent. Uh, let's see. May, May 1st. That sounds like a good day. We'll just do it on May 1st. Just don't die between now and then. That'd be like you going to the hospital this afternoon and, and saying, I've got some pain in my side, and the doctor's saying, your appendix just ruptured. You need an appendectomy. We've got about three or four other people who need one. When we get about 10 or 12, we'll do them all at once, I think in maybe middle of August. Just come on back, and we'll do your surgery. No, that's ridiculous. Ethiopian said, here's water. Can I get baptized right now? I love that spirit. Today is the day of salvation. Step away from whatever past you have and come to God with your hands up. Hands up is a universal sign of surrender. 
I think the ministry of Philip shows us exactly what priority is in Jesus' world. Can we all stand together? Amen. Being that this is my first time to be here, I don't know your story. I don't know your past. I don't know if you've been here for, for years or months or if this is your first service. But I do know today that the most important thing in our lives is to take inventory and see if we are ready to meet Jesus. Have I repented of my sin? Repentance is easy. It simply is telling God you're sorry for your sin and then you turn away from your sin and you face the opposite direction and begin to walk toward God. I've been walking away from God my whole life, but I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk toward God. When we've repented, the Bible says our sins are dead. We, our sins are, are dead in our life. Just like Jesus died on the cross, we are dead to our old nature. But we don't, he didn't stay on the cross. And we don't stay dead. He said that we are buried with him in baptism. Amen. When we go down in Jesus' name, baptism in Jesus' name, we take on his name. And that sin that is still on us, even though it's dead, we've been carrying it around dead since we repented. When we were baptized, it's all washed away. Our sins are remitted or removed. Amen. But Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. He said, and then He can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we can walk with Him in newness of life. That's what's important today. Amen. Multicultural ministries is my, is my job, but somebody's salvation is my priority. And if the two ever get sideways, I'll quit the job because this is the most important thing that God is doing in the earth today. You must be born again of water and spirit. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your word. Thank you, Lord, that, that repentance is not a one-time thing. Thank you, Lord, that, that salvation is a promise and that we can, we can experience uh, the, the Holy Spirit every day. God, we don't have to wait, God, and do it all at one time, but we can do it here at church today.